Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He is Andy. We are here to break down a glorious, wonderful, enlightening win over Rutgers. Uh, and also talk a little bit of basketball, some some sad wrestling facts that we got to get to, which is really kind of disappointing and not the way, you know, Ohio State want to start the wrestling season. And uh, maybe maybe a little controversy on the gridiron as well before we get to ask us anything. So it's a, it's a packed Dubcast. I want to start by talking about the Rutgers game. And Andy, I just want to ask you straight up, do you think this game had any value whatsoever, either as entertainment or for informational purposes, if you were an Ohio State football fan? I think this game answered every question you could possibly <laughs> have. About, no, I, I mean, I am I am angry about this game. And do you know why, Johnny? Do you no, know why? Why, why are you angry? Because I'm on the record a week ago on the Stubcast as saying the Buckeyes will cover any spread that you put in front of them based <laughs> on how things have gone this season. I, right. I have gone all in uh, with my Monopoly money. Uh, I've referred to our house money series more than once in the season because it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun because I've been doing really well, but this week was not quite my Waterloo. This wasn't my worst week of the season, but the Buckeyes did not cover. No, in all seriousness, what do you glean from this game? You glean from this game that Rutgers is every bit as bad as you thought they were. Ohio State is every bit as good as you thought they were. I mean, the second half, I think I said on Twitter, was kind of dumb and unnecessary. Um, just, you know, oh, you could tell Ohio State, punched out at the end of the half and why wouldn't they yeah uh, unlike the maryland game where <laughs> it was you know balls to the walls and everybody and their sister got two touchdowns right uh it was just kind of like yeah we did that once and we don't need to do it again and you know that the team felt like it had more or less checked out right so hey uh, just and i don't mean comment, that as a criticism I, mean, I don't mean that as a criticism right sure like no and, and it's just like it, you know rutger scored as many points uh on ohio state as any team this season Right. And who cares? Yeah. I mean, and it isn't a criticism and it's Rutgers and you've got two huge games coming up and it's completely understandable. That the team would be looking ahead. You look at some of their quotes from earlier this week and where they're talking about trying to stay focused and, you know, just trying to get better. And it's pretty obvious that the high state football team as a whole was, was looking well past Rutgers. And as they should, because Rutgers is horrible and they could have beat them blindfolded. And, you know, to me, I agree with you. There's nothing really you can get from this game at all. Some people wringing their hands a little bit like, oh, they scored these points. Who cares? I don't care. It, it has no bearing on whether the team is good or bad or trending upwards or downwards in any facet of the game. I don't care. It's it's clearly a non-factor uh, when it comes to considering whether they're a good team or not. So I just, yeah, I mean, you're sitting there watching it and you're just – it just feels so perfunctory. Like, okay, we're going to show up. This game will last practically three and a half hours and I'm going to turn it off. And that's, that's how I felt. It, it was just kind of this whatever. And I didn't really care. Um, I do but, think the, the one thing that came out of this game that's that unfortunately has gotten pretty well brushed aside because of, you know, how perfunctory that's a perfect yeah. word for that game is, you know, Justin Fields had a career game. Um, he did, yeah. That was his best game of his career. And, and, you know, statistically and so on. I mean, he was, was all, I, I think it's really unfortunate. We, we've talked about this before. It's really unfortunate for a guy like Justin Fields that he's having a Heisman worthy season that's almost getting overlooked because of the fact that there are three Heisman contenders on his team 
and that you know what he's doing is just so i mean it's become commonplace now for him to go out and have these kind of games right he has the best touchdown to interception ratio uh, by far in the field uh one pick against what's he 30 some touchdown passes now i mean it's yeah you know, it's really incredible. There was a nice graphic about that during the game that his ratio was, you know, better than everybody else in the field and maybe the best ratio in the last how many ever years it was. I don't remember exactly what the graphic said, but it's like that's almost getting overlooked because of how good he's been consistently week in, week out. The fact that he's having his career game against Rutgers, it's like, well, sure, you know, anybody can uh, look like Marino against Rutgers, you know, yada, 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 and you go on. Well, but- He's also not playing in the second half. I mean, that's yeah, that's the, right. that's the thing. Nobody nobody watches these games. I mean, it's <laughs> I know we watch these games, and I yeah. know college football fans enjoy watching the good teams and whatever. But these Heisman voters, people who are you know making commentary or whatever, and national writers, they're not watching literally every game. And so what they do is they have to rely on statistics a lot of the time. And if you don't play in the third and fourth quarters a lot then your statistics are going to look booty next to a team that has to play those because your their defense isn't as good and they have to you know they're in shootouts and whatever look i'm not i'm not saying justin field should be the heisman front runner over joe burrow i don't think anybody should i mean right now he's got like a deadly death grip right on that on that trophy um but it's it's a he's you know justin fields turn as far as his heisman candidacy goes is really a victim of his own success because he's just too damn good in the first half of these games. Well, he's, he and, had 305 yards and four touchdowns in two quarters right? last week. That's, I mean, to me, that's mind-blowing. Think about that. You, you rewind this thing 10 years, and you'd said Ohio State's quarterback had a 305-yard, four-touchdown day. I, I mean, you would have assumed he was a Heisman Trophy front runner, right? right. Like that's That we just say, oh, yeah, he threw for 300. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a commentary on how good this football team is. Right. Right. And, and that's and so that's really the thing. And it does become a little blase when they're playing teams like Rutgers and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, OK, well, this is over. And it's, you know, it's 20 minutes into the game. I, you know, I am excited for what's coming up. I think Ohio State and Penn State is actually going to be an interesting game. I don't think it's going to be. I, I actually think Ohio State is a pretty good edge on that. And we're going to obviously circle back around to that when we get towards the end here. And I actually, I mean, I wrote about this uh, for threat level. I, I've elevated the threat level a little bit. Dun, and dun, uh, uh, Kyle talked about this on the site. I mentioned it in the threat level Michigan piece. Michigan is finding its footing a little bit with the uh, uh, with the passing game on offense. And, and what I mean by that is Shea Patterson, who has just looked completely lost for large stretches of this season, they they seem to have figured out that he is most comfortable when he's rolling out, when he is able to like have options and what he's going to do. So the RPO stuff they've been doing worked really well against Michigan State, and you know they might be able to continue that um, against Ohio State. So we'll see how that plays out. So I think the next two games are going to be really dramatic, really fun, really cool to watch. Uh, but you got to get past Rutgers first. So they beat the crap out of Rutgers, hooray! Um, if you look at the national scene, LSU really still looks like, you know, the team to beat uh, just in terms of, you know, how they're offensive playing in Joe Burrow. It's just really hard to overlook that. Although, uh, you know, I would grant that um, Ohio State has looked every bit as dominant. Um, it's interesting. This is something that I wanted to ask you about, because to me, this is like the biggest story of uh, the college football week. And that's Tua Tagovailoa getting 
uh, injured, having his, you know, his hip essentially dislocated um, against Mississippi State. People were criticizing Nick Saban for having him in at what at that point, which was a pretty big blowout. Uh, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Tua staying in the game at that point? Because a lot of people are defending Nick Saban saying like, you know, no big deals. Football injuries happen. It wasn't related to his uh, to his ankle. It's just, you know, something that you have to to deal with. How do you feel about that decision to keep him in? I mean, this is a this is a tough thing, right? Because on one hand, you say a guy like Tua is a competitor. You know, you want your starting quarterback to be the kind of guy that's there's a difference between playing hurt and playing injured. Right. You know, and so Tua's had injuries, Tua's had some issues. So maybe you need to be a little more cautious with a guy who's who's had some injury issues over the past couple of years. Uh, but, but I mean, I think that's a balance, right? It was, it's one thing if that injury happens in the fourth quarter of a game, you're winning by 30. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing. And this was a first half injury. I'm, I'm, I have a hard time second guessing a coach playing his star quarterback in the first half. If, you know, if that player, unless that player saying, coach, man, I just don't, I, I don't feel it. I'm not, you know, I'm having it. You know, if there's, if there's a clear reason to pull him out and Ryan day got asked about this during his press conference this week. Um, and he talked about that, you know, that you don't want to, you, you want to keep your guys healthy, but you don't want to take your starters out too early, um, you know, to potentially put yourself in a position where you have to put them back in later in the game. That's, I mean, that's the worst thing you can happen. You look at the Oklahoma Baylor game as an example, Baylor's sure. beating the Sooners 28 to three. And, Oklahoma comes back, no, you know, no, no starters were out of that game. I don't think, but that's the perfect, you know, that's the perfect reason why you, you know, you keep your foot on the gas. Um, not, not that Alabama was playing Oklahoma by any stretch. Right. You know, the Sooners and the Sooners and the Volunteers are two totally different teams. But you know, I, I kind of feel that balance of not resting your starters too early, and and the other thing is you want those guys to to get the minutes. You know, so that's a thing we're going to see with what we were just talking about with Ohio state, not sure. playing its starters in the second half, they're coming into two games where they're probably going to have to play four quarters and it'll be the first time all season. Those guys have had to play four quarters. Here's so I'll, I'll give you a little counterpoint to this because I understand, you know, these arguments and, and that's what people have been saying. I think for the past several days to defend Nick Saban, my take on it though, is a, as you mentioned, this is Mississippi state. You're not, you're going to beat them right? They're not coming back. They're not staging a dramatic comeback or anything like that. Uh, B, you don't have to take out all the starters. You can just take out your most important one, who is Tua. And and, and given the fact that the guy has an injury history and you're really getting down to crunch time and you're a borderline college football playoff team at this point, right? Like people right. were starting to doubt Alabama uh, for all kinds of reasons, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you lose, like you already have a loss on your resume, uh, you're really borderline whether it even it be possible to get in. You need to do everything you can to stay in the conversation. To me, you got to be smart about this. I, I think he should have taken him out. And as far as reps go, look, we're 10, 11 games into the season. You have reps. I, at this yep. point, if you can't play, if you really need to make sure that you get that extra little bit of practice, <laughs> you've got bigger issues. Right. So for me, take him out of the game. Put him back in if you feel you absolutely have to, and, and something goes completely haywire, and you got to get a couple touchdowns. But for me, you don't have to take all the starters out. Just take out your most important one, 
uh, protect that dude as much as possible. Right. And again, I mean, he was gimpy. That's the other thing. Like, it's not as if Tua was 100% healthy. The guy had been gimpy ever since he came back from his uh, injury. And even if what happened to him wasn't related, that should just be all the more reason to protect him. Yep. And I just, like I said, I, I think college coaches in general need to be more proactive about managing minutes, especially when it comes to quarterbacks and, and skilled players like that. I thought, I mean, honestly, I thought even as much as, as what uh, Justin Fields did against Rutgers, I thought he was in too long. And I, I know that the game would maybe look slightly worse or something like that had he gone out earlier, but I don't care. I just, I don't want to see these guys getting hurt, um, especially when the most meaningful games on the schedule are coming up at the end. So I, yeah, I mean, thing, I just, I don't The thing you don't know about, I, I always, you know, you're not in the room with <laughs> the coach and his starters. The other thing I always wonder about too, not that this should be, at the forefront of Nick Saban's mind or Ryan Day's mind or uh, whichever coach you might be talking about. We were just, you know, know, not five minutes ago talking about the fact that, you know, Fields and J.K. Dobbins aren't serious Heisman front runners because they're only playing two quarters a game. You, You know, I wonder what's the balance with keeping your guys feeling like, hey, you've put me in, you know, you've put me in position to be able to be recognized uh, you know, that, that I'm going to be, even if it's not the Heisman, any of these other trophies that are handed out at the various positions, you know, if you, if you never rack up those gaudy stats that you're going to see from these big 12 teams that are in at four quarters slinging the rock because they have no defenses and have to play all four quarters down to the wire, yeah. you know, it's, that's a, there's so many dynamics there and managing the mindsets of, you know, these, these future first rounders, I, I always wonder what that's like um, for the coaches. Like, not that again, that shouldn't be super high in your priority. But how much do you have to manage those egos and make sure that a guy's getting enough minutes to be happy? We saw that a few years ago with Ohio State, right? Where uh, the the idea was, how was Urban going to manage, you know, handing enough touches around to all these playmakers on what was that that 2015 team that everybody was so worried? And you know, at the end of the day. You know, you sure. look and say, you know, that ended up the only being... Thing, so, I mean, Tua, that's Tua's team, though. You know what I mean? Like, no one, if Tua doesn't get, you know, if he only plays, you know, one and a half quarters, nobody's going to be thinking they're going to run up and replace Tua. You know what I mean? Like, no, none of his backups are thinking, oh, let's go, my time to shine. Like, I just, I don't see that happening at Alabama. J- Jalen Hurts would like to talk with you. Well, yeah, at, but he's at Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I, I just don't think. Well, my point, my point, point though, is that it's not like Nick Saban's never walked away from a quarterback. You know, I mean, well, and, that's, and that's true. Nick Saban doesn't okay. have an emotional attachment to his quarterback. That is true. That is a very good point. And, <laughs> he, and so he, maybe that Urban is Meyer. You, right. And maybe that is something where you want to tell to it. Like, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> how did you get your job, buddy? Like, it's, you know, one of those how to succeed in business without really trying right. kind of things. Right. Um, so maybe maybe two is acutely aware of of the fact that he's got to get the minutes in or coach will, uh, coach will start bringing a younger girl to the ball. Yeah. Fair point. I I can, I can see your point on that. Uh, I will concede that. So I, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, Alabama, I think at this point is pretty much out. Uh, two is two is unfortunately gone for the rest of the season, which sucks because he's a, he's a great player and he's really fun to watch. Um, and I hope he has a full recovery and just makes a butt ton of money in the NFL. Um, Cause that just, it just really blows and you don't want to mm-hmm. see that. So, and, and, you know, in the rest of the season is, I mean, look, these next two weeks are going to be intense, just 
super wild weeks for all of college football. So I'm I'm excited for it, but just want all these these super cool and good players to stay healthy because that's what makes the game fun. So yeah, true story. Uh, so I, you know, we would be remiss. We really have not talked about the Ohio State men's basketball team nearly as much as I feel we should, uh, and that's on me. So I've I want to do that right now. I want to talk about Chris Holtman's squad taking Villanova basically to the woodshed. I like did I? No one expected that. It was the most hilarious thing to watch an Ohio State basketball team which last season came out lethargic basically in every game they played right I can't I don't think I can think of a single game last season where they came out hitting the ground running kicking ass making threes getting every bucket and so they come out against Villanova like all right dogfight time and they just boat race Villanova from the jump and it's hilarious so I I mean Look, you've obviously got a lot of talent on this team, right? I mean, I, I think that's that's self-evident. You've got a lot of guys who can contribute. It's really deep. I love that. Uh, but did you expect them to come out and just annihilate Villanova the way they did? Oh, my gosh, no. Holy smokes. That I mean, that's one of those teams you're used to seeing playing in the last week of the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah. So you're, you're looking and saying, to some extent, I mean, what are we in year, year three? of the Holtman tenure. I mean, it's, yeah. but it still feels, it still feels new in a way, you know, he's, he's the new coach in, in a way. And so you're like, okay, he's still kind of building this roster and he's getting some guys in here and um, you know, what, what are they going to look like? And no, I didn't expect it. I mean, a 25 point win, um, you know, and, and Jay Wright's a heck of a basketball coach. I mean, you just, I, I didn't believe that, that, that Ohio State would get blown out by Villanova, but I wasn't, I mean, a win was certainly in the th- range of things I considered possible, but yeah, 25 point beating. Wow. Yeah. That I'm was, looking at the, I mean, so awesome. I'm looking at the game flow, right? At one point. So at, with a, at, at the 1132 mark in the first half, Ohio State was up 27 to seven. <laughs> like that doesn't, that's just hilarious to me. That, that is, yeah. th- and this is not a team that is built for that either. That's, that's what really cracks me up. This wasn't a case of somebody just going completely ham and scoring like 35 points or something like that. This was a very evenly distributed team effort where the, you know, the highest score was 14 points, right? Like Washington, yeah. like that. I mean, like, <laughs> I just I am really impressed by this team, how everybody seems to contribute. Uh I, I think you're gonna have maybe a couple of future stars and DJ Carton and and you've mm-hmm. got other dudes who can kind of keep things on lockdown. Obviously, Caleb's gonna contribute and do what he did. He had eleven rebounds in the game, which he had a double double. He did, and that's super Jared Sullingery to me. So I really enjoy that. Um and again, I don't think he has the same skill set, and I don't think he's he's the same level as player of player, but he had a great game. Um, this is going to be a really fun team to watch. They're top 10 now, right? They're, this is a top 10 team. And I think they, they've they earned that at this point. They they look good. They look like they can be a legitimate, um, you know, Big Ten contender. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I think that's amazing. Ohio State currently the only university in the country to have top 10 college football and basketball, which is, which is kind of cool and fun yeah. and good. I, I always enjoy it when the Buckeyes are the best at literally everything. But man, going back, I, I was looking at the stat sheet at that Villanova game when you're shooting 60% from the floor, 56 for, from behind the arc. I mean, 
you're shooting that well. And this is a team that has struggled at being a good shooting team right? Uh, o- over the past, you know, what, God, four or five years, it feels like. So it's nice seeing them putting up those kind of numbers. And on the flip side of that, gosh, Villanova was, you know, 30%, 31, I think, from yeah, the field, like 33 from behind the arc. It was t- terrible. Uh, and so it, Kyle Young, look at that guy. I mean, he's having a... <laughs> he's having a season right right and not a dude you would have expected either like that's you know so and and the thing is it also stands in stark contrast to the cincinnati win which you know again great matchup i love to see those teams play but that was an ugly game and then they come out and do what they did against villanova they've got look they've got four games coming up that they should should pretty much you know sleepwalk through i mean kent state right now is like three and over the other they got stetson which is not something that i thought existed that's a school Um, not a hat i mean yes it's a school and a hat but i don't think the two are related yes well they do enjoy using the hat and their iconography which i appreciate because really that's something that you got to lean into you know what i mean now i want to know are they actually related (laughs) well i don't know i mean all i'm I'm looking at their logo and they've got the hat in the middle of the logo oh that's fantastic I appreciate that, and they should. They should. You, you, that's not something you can run from, in my opinion. Today I um, learned Stetson is a school in Florida, so they've got that going okay. for them. Yeah, I mean, and then you've got uh, you got Purdue, but not not Purdue, really. It's it's uh, Purdue Fort Wayne. Oh, okay. So that's a little bit different. Uh, you've got Kent State, which you know, okay, Kent State. I mean, yeah. it's theoretically could be good at some point i don't know i mean they're an ohio team they they're not you know completely unheard of i guess mm-hmm. but yeah yep. and then morgan state which whatever but then the big one is coming up is, is north carolina on the fourth and that that is a game that if ohio state continues to look as good as they have um i i think that's going to be a pretty interesting matchup i you know that this year's acc big 10 challenge yes i believe so i'm assuming yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and so you know that's one of those things and and unfortunately and this really sucks it's a 9 30 start which is just complete trash 9 30 start especially on the fourth like in the middle of the week just awful um but it it should be i think a really good litmus test for the team early on in the season and it's you know if this if this you know, kind of winning by committee thing keeps working. And I think the proof will be in the pudding against North Carolina that it's viable long-term. And then you kind of, you, you take a hard right, right into the big 10 season. And then, you know, who knows what happens after that. So, you know, they've got Kentucky coming up. You got West Virginia, you've got a lot of big time names on the slate, but that's going to tell you a lot about this team. So hopefully they can continue what they did against Villanova. Um, I'm, I'm excited. That was a fun as hell game to watch. And it was just kind of shocking. So I enjoyed well, you- that quite a bit. I mean, here's one of the things I love, and I've, I guess I'm on the record on this podcast early and often saying what a fan I am of Chris Holtman and how he's managing the brand and the program yeah. and just doing everything right from, you know, playing in St. John at appropriate times to throwback uniforms to, I mean, he just gets, you know, to not be, uh, you know, a product of the Ohio State program. Uh, you know, as a player or an alumnus or anything like that. I mean, he really gets it, which right. I love. And it just seems to be part of his DNA. He just seems to intuitively know these are the things that I need to do to, to, do to be successful here. The, the One of the things I'm really in love with is his scheduling. Right. You know, so that, that you got Cincinnati game, two weeks later, you're playing Villanova. You know, two weeks later, you're playing North Carolina. And then 
couple Big Ten games, and then UK and West Virginia back-to-back. I mean, holy smokes. Like, talk about getting your money's worth as a fan that you're, you're seeing your team go out between now and New Year's and playing, God, what is that, four top 10 teams? I guess Villanova wasn't top 10, but four, four top 15 teams? Yeah, that, that's incredible. That's an incredible out of conference schedule on top of a Big Ten schedule that that is going to be as tough as any in the country. Well, and it's you better hope really you have the dogs impressive. To, right. And and, that, and I appreciate that. You also better have to hope that, you know, you have the dogs to run with those those teams because you lose all those and you look real bad. Then that's that's not such great scheduling. But obviously take care of business against Villanova. Um, if they take out one of the two, Kentucky or uh or UNC and Kentucky, obviously looking much, much more vulnerable. Yeah, uh, right, right. After losing to, uh, let me check the internet. Um, you know what I mean? Like if you you lose to like what Hanson, I guess is what I can't even remember the name yeah, of. Yeah, who did that? I mean, it was uh, okay. Google don't is, Ev- Evansville. Evansville. There we Evansville. go. Evansville. I don't know why I said Hampton. Evansville from Hampton Indiana. was actually a basketball team I'd heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Evansville's a town I've heard of. <laughs> right. Yeah. You lose to Evansville. I mean, it's, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's definitely possible that they take two out of the three against these big ones. And, and look, that sets you up really nicely for the big 10 season. It helps you out. Uh, if you're, you know, somehow become like a bubble team or whatever that those are really great resume builders. So, yeah, I'm excited with what they're doing. It's going to be a lot of fun this winter to follow the team. Uh, you want to, you know, I talk about this. And actually, I talked about this before. I, I told Chris Holman this uh, before he even coached his first game. We we saw him at B-Dubs. We had an 11 Warriors event at B-Dubs on campus. Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, wait, you're just hanging out at B-Dubs with Holman? No, no, we no, had an 11 I was Warriors event. He was I just know, there yeah, with I, the team. Yes, I was there that night. I know what you're yeah, talking about. <laughs> right. And I was, and we were just talking with him and he's like the nice, I mean, so gracious to just, you know, shoot the shit with a bunch of, you know, internet dorks. And um, one of the things that, that I told him, say again. I resemble that remark. Yeah, well, you're right. And <laughs> and one of the one of the things that I told him, I was like, look, Ohio State fans want to follow the basketball team. It, I don't think it's a situation where football and basketball cannot exist in harmony. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I do think basketball obviously is going to have to take a back seat until, you know, everything's finished in the fall and early winter. But I, I think Ohio State fans will follow the basketball team. But I also think in addition to winning, they want to see a guy. They want to see a dude that they can kind of latch on to. And even if that dude's a, you know, an Aaron Kraft type, he doesn't have to be a national player of the year. He just has to be somebody that they like and that they can, you know, really just enjoy. Like a guy like Kata Bates D up, for example, yeah. who I, I really think injected a lot of energy with how he played um into that first season. Um, I just, you know, I don't know that I see that guy on the team yet. But Caleb's playing really great. DJ's, you know, I think a future star in the making. There are a lot of elements there that could bring Ohio State back. Maybe not to the levels where you see like, you know, Connolly and, and Odin and all them. Um, but you can get pretty damn close. And I, I think Holtman's the guy to do it. I agree with you. I think every move that he's made uh, logistically, strategically, he's just, he's, he gets it. He is a great hire for Ohio State. Yeah, and I think to some extent, scheduling these games is part of his recruiting pitch. Yes, I think to so too. get the kind of players you're describing, right? Because you are you know when you're scheduling Villanova and UK and um, 
uh, who was the other one we said there just a minute, you know, West Virginia, yeah, UNC. Um, UNC, yeah, North Carolina, you're going, when you're playing three and four of those games in November and December on top of the Big Ten schedule, you know, that's a lot of TV time, you know, those are great matchups played in great venues against great programs. Kids want to come and play in that kind of scenario, right? So, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great part of the recruiting pitch. I also think, too, people want to have a player they can latch on to, but I also think th- they like latching on to the coach as well. They, sure. So people, people will follow Holtman. Uh, and I mean, you just look at Urban Meyer, right? He's a, he's a celebrity. He's got his own restaurant here in town now, and people are following his TV program because he's, he's, he's our guy, so to speak. Holtman has that kind of, that kind of charisma and cachet right. uh, and, and can totally, I think, draw those kind of audiences. His Twitter feed's a great follow. You know, he just seems like a real, he's a real person. And I think people like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's real cute with his daughter and all that. And, you know, he has all kinds of pictures about them, you know, hanging all out American with American family. He's got the, you know, he's got the suits that he wears sometimes, which are just increasingly terrible, which I really appreciate. I mean, if you're going to be a college basketball coach, you got to have three or four just god awful suits in your closet. Um, so I, I just, you know, I appreciate I that. You're, I can't believe you're banging on his tailor. Like I've been sitting here thinking I want to meet his <laughs> tailor. I want that kind of pink jacket that he wears from time to time you know what i'm talking about yeah it's, no that's that was exactly what i had in mind i love that i'm i mean i'm sitting here wondering if you know an uh, an extra uh extra extra large middle-aged gentleman can pull that off the way he does i'm not sure but i'm <laughs> i might be willing to, you need try. to try it you need i to might try be it. willing to try yeah you got to try it um so the basketball team obviously doing great the 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 next infinity stone right this is the one that we we thought was a lock in the infinity gauntlet here and uh apparently that's not the case andy so what the hell wrestling guy what would have happened this weekend it's uh so like we were talking about with the basketball team and your scheduling these out of conference matchups that maybe will test you and be resume builders and get you ready for March. Same deal in wrestling. So the thing that's interesting about wrestling compared to football, especially, but to basketball, to a certain extent, the dual meets that you wrestle in November and December and January uh, really don't matter one iota to how your team performs relative to a national championship. So the way that you win a national championship in wrestling currently is at the NCAA wrestling tournament in March, and you'll wrestle 10 wrestlers at the 10 individual weight classes and their placements in their individual brackets give the team points, right? So uh, a national champion um, yields more points than a you know second place, a third place, a fourth place, and so on. So right. the aggregate point total won by each of your 10 wrestlers is what determines uh, how how well you finish. So the fact that Ohio State wins or loses a dual meet in November, relatively meaningless to their chances to place in the top three or four at the NCAA tournament. But what scheduling uh, in Ohio State has literally the toughest schedule of any team in the Big Ten uh, in terms of its out-of-conference schedule, uh, and, and this weekend was a great example, wrestled number 10 uh, number 15, rather, Pittsburgh at Pitt on Friday. And then Sunday, Russell at home against number 11, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech pulled off uh, the upset. You know, Ohio State was ranked number three at the time in the, the dual meet rankings. But Virginia Tech came to town. Man, I was super impressed with the Hokies. Every kid up and down that lineup wrestled like 
he was the big man on campus. And unfortunately, Ohio State has a few weights where they're not settled yet at who the starter is going to be, have a few weights yet where maybe guys are coming off injury, maybe guys um, in the case of like Rocky Jordan at 174 pounds were out all last season and are still trying to kind of work their way back into the rotation. But Tom Ryan was pretty, he was pretty straightforward after the meet that uh, they need to see 10 guys who are ready, ready to wrestle all seven minutes um, with a level of intensity that you would right. expect from, you know, a national title contender. And there are four or five weights uh, there Sunday. We just didn't see it. So Luke Pletcher at 141 pounds, number one ranked guy in the country. He was fantastic. His second major decision in a row. Uh, he is wrestling at 141 pounds as well as he has wrestled in his entire Ohio State career. Likewise, Colin Moore, number one in the country at 197 pounds, uh, got a tech fall when his team really needed it. it ended up not matter, not not mattering because uh, teammates after him didn't didn't um, do what they needed to do. But Colin looked fantastic. Those two are. I don't know if you'd you'd call both of them prohibitive favorites to win national titles yet, but they're absolutely number one with a bullet at this stage um, in the game. And after that, you've got a couple guys, Sammy Sasso at 149 points who did get pinned. That was the big shocking upset of the weekend was that right. Sasso was pinned by actually an Ohio native, a kid named Brent Moore from St. Paris's Graham high school. Sammy got caught. I wouldn't lose a lot of sleep about Sammy Sasso getting pinned in November. Uh, it was a great win for Moore and, and he clearly had a game plan and executed it, but Sammy kind of got caught out of position on a shot attempt and more capitalized. And uh, Sammy Sasso isn't on his back very much. And so he was really uncomfortable and out of position. And all it takes is a second for, you know, the ref to tap the mat and you're done. So, but I wouldn't worry about him. I think he's still a title contender come March. Uh, one, one match doesn't, doesn't necessarily change that. Chase Singletary will be your heavyweight. No question about that. Uh, but after that, there are a few classes where, I think the guys that you have seen start the past couple of weeks will not be the guys that you see start in March. So lots of, lots of learning to be done. And um, you know, this is a, this is a year where you have young guys who are learning. You've had a relatively veteran heavy team over the past three or four years. This is as young as the team has been since guys like, you know, Bo Jordan and Kyle Snyder and Nathan Tomasello were freshmen. So what you're telling me is that Tom Ryan should be fired immediately. So oh my gosh, yeah. So if you, <laughs> yeah, if you if you're on Twitter, they you know there's no doubt. I mean, the the big knock on Ohio State from the Twitterati um, is is Ohio State is not great on the mats, and and by that you know you'd see guys that from the bottom position, you know, uh, a guy from Iowa, for example, you'd expect to just be uh, nasty on bottom or, or just, you know, on top, be able to ride a guy for three minutes and get him tilted for back points and all these kind of things. Ohio state is really good in the neutral position. So really good at takedowns and, and, uh, kind of going takedown. So you watch a guy like Colin Moore, for example, who will get a tech fall by going takedown to takedown. And by that, I mean, take a guy down, get the two points and immediately let him back up just so you can take him back down again, uh, yeah. where, you know, you would expect, say, a, a wrestler for a team like Iowa, you get a guy down and you're going to try to ride him for two minutes and tilt him to get to get back points, near fall points. A little different mindset. Some of that's because Ohio State has been really locked in and recruiting guys who are freestyle wrestlers and freestyle is is somewhat different from what you wrestled in folk, folk style is what they call college style wrestling, NCAA style wrestling. They're different skill sets, very similar, 
but but have some really important differences. So some of that is just the, the nature of the guys that you recruit. Um, I'm still uh, of the mind that uh, Ohio State's pretty fortunate to have Tom Ryan as their, their head coach. He's done a fantastic job. And if you haven't been in their new facility yet, um, I was about to totally say that was that's that. what I was going to yeah. suggest that people need to go out and check that out because all the picture I haven't been out yet, but the pictures make it seem just completely unbelievable. It's really it's really fantastic. I, I laughed the one time Tom, Tom very seriously said he's pretty sure it's the only wrestling facility in the country with windows. And so a lot of times you'll go into a wrestling room, and, <laughs> which might be you know, true. I mean, yeah, yeah it, it really might be that the wrestling part of the facility is gorgeous, but the competition venue Covelli Center you know, which the volleyball team um, uses as some other teams use as well. It It's a great competition venue because what you would have, what you would have happen is wrestling uh, just in, in volleyball as well, typically would be in St. John arena, St. John seats, what say 15,000 people. And I remember what actual posted capacity is, but a dual meet like this one against Virginia tech, for example, in mid November, you're going to see, three, four, maybe 5,000 people come out for a duel like that. Well, so you fill the lower bowl in St. John Arena and you have all these empty seats. It's a great venue. I, St. John's one of my favorite venues of all time. Um, I hope we refurbish and remodel it, modernize it instead of you know leveling the darn thing, but right. that's neither here nor there. Cavelli is perfect, though, for these kind of duels. You know, you get 3,500 people in there and it, and it feels like a packed house. It's an incredible environment. They do the lights and the sound show and the PA announcer with a big voice and getting everybody wound up and all these kind of things. So it's it's a really great experience for fans and a super great environment for the team as well. So it's, it was really well done. And you always have the option when Iowa or Penn State rolls into town of going over to either St. John or the Schottenstein Center where you can sell ten or 15,000 seats, no problem. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, and, and like I said, that's, I think just more opportunities for people to check out the wrestling team and, and you know, and not say like, oh, well, they got to be the shotters. Like it's, there are so many opportunities and it's the facility just looks amazing. Um, and obviously they're a great team. So despite what happened this past weekend. Um, okay. So thank you for the wrestling update. We're going to, again, I really, I feel like wrestling has got to be, has to be mentioned in the same breath as the two revenue sports because of just how high like the high level of um, performance that we've seen from them in the past few years uh, just is really like they deserve the attention that they get. So, yeah, and, I'll, and I'll give another shout out for the team and a plug. If you haven't been to a dual meet, uh, you know, maybe ever, and you, but you've just, you've listened to us talk about it or you read, there's so many, I really enjoy the comments on wrestling articles on the site, but you because you can tell there's, a cadre of fans of Ohio state sports who have gotten into wrestling, you know, kind of in the Tom Ryan era, maybe they right. didn't wrestle themselves or, you know, not had kids that wrestle or don't have the familiar. And, and I fall in that boat, by the way, you know, I'm a, I'm a more recent convert to the sport. There are some really fantastic opportunities coming up to watch some of the best teams in the country wrestle in Columbus. So, you know, you're, you're not coming out to watch Ohio state obliterate, um, nobody's from nowhere this year. So coach Ryan and the team scheduled some of the best teams in the country for this inaugural season in the Cavelli center. So I, I would really, you know, encourage you, if you're thinking about going out and watching a meet, this is the year to do it for sure because of the quality of, of teams that are coming in. I think Cornell 
will be up the next, they've got a couple of weeks off here with Thanksgiving. So like Cornell is coming up December 1st. That's consistently one of the best teams in the country. Arizona state in January is really fantastic. And then you get into that big 10 schedule. Um, and this year at home, Oh, I think Penn state's away this year. And this is a year where you don't wrestle Michigan. Um, so if you want to see the big meets, Cornell and Arizona State both will be really, really big uh, in Cavelli Center this year. Sweet. Um, yeah, we, and, and I, I, I'm with you, man. Like people need to check that out and support the team because they're they're great, and that's going to be a a really good time. Um, so just as a reminder, uh, the Eleven Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at elevenwarriors.com, drygoods.elevenwarriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, and more. And by the way, just put out a really kick-ass end of November set. We've got the Win November um, set. We've got a uh, an excellent uh, kind of crew cut sweatshirt. We've got the shirt. We've got this little you know red stickers you can put on the M's in your neighborhood. Uh, there's all kinds of just really, I, I really, really like what we're putting out for that. Um, the Win November shirts and and uh, sweatshirts is definitely something people should check out. I'm a big fan of those. Um, stickers are so cool. I'm a sucker for the stickers. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and yes, you could you could theoretically buy tape, but why would you? You can just you can get the pre-made ones that are just perfectly appropriate for any occasion that you might need them for. Um, so let's do Ask Us Anything. You can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start with our good friend Alvin. He wants to know, is it okay to be disappointed in our third stringers against Rutgers? I was at the game and found myself yelling at our Buckeyes at the end of the game, given how well those guys have been this season so far. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit early on, I guess. So, you know, I was I was aggravated because our <laughs> state didn't cover, uh, right. which I guess you could lay, a, you know, lay at the feet of those third and fourth stringers. You know, it was, I think if the Maryland game hadn't, you know, gone just flawlessly, regardless of what lineup you put into the game, you might have looked at the Rutgers game differently, sure. you know, but you, because you saw Ohio State put 70 points on a hapless opponent, you expect them to do it every time because you assume that Rutgers was even more hapless than, than Maryland was. So I think expectations play a part of that. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I was, I was a little irked, uh, you know, I wasn't at the game, but watching at home, I was a little irked and, you know, that, that they didn't just uh, shut them out. I mean, shutouts are, are, are a big deal so yeah that, that would have been that would have been nice but no i'm not gonna yeah I'm you can be a little bit disappointed i guess but <laughs> yeah you can be you can be a trifle pissed, irked right. yeah if you're actually pissed and you think that it is a reflection on the team i i think that's a little too far I, nobody yeah. people had checked out way before the third stringers were in the yeah. game so well, I, you I gotta let that go <laughs> yeah i agree uh this one's from Suncard. Suncard wants to know is it worth reading Game of Thrones, the, the Song of Ice and Fire books, uh, knowing that the last two books uh, are not finished? Should he wait? Yeah, I, I mean, no. Yes, it is worth reading. No, you should not wait. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm firmly like resolved, uh, reconciled to the fact that I'm never going to know how this series ends because yeah, the last book is never coming out. People need no, to understand that right now. It, it's and you never should still read the happen. books because they're great. Absolutely, no that's, that's, that's exactly right. The the first, uh, you know, especially the first what three books. I mean, they're just really fantastic. Yeah, and and it's going to be annoying, and you know, but there's 
the world of fan fiction is out there and, and there <laughs> will great. be a million people who will write, you know, this is kind of, do you ever watch the movie clue? Yeah. Yeah. The Tim Curry, like the legendary Tim Curry rest his soul. I love that movie. It was on one of the movie channels the other night and I just caught the last, you know, 20 minutes of it. And one of the things I love about the last 20 minutes of that film is this is how it happened. Here's who, who killed who with what and which room. And then they have the little slate that says, that's how it could have happened. Right. But what about this? And then they run that last 10 minute sequence all over again with a different set of who killed who. And then they do it the third time. You know, this is how it really happened. So that's what's going to happen. Martin's going to die and everybody right. and their sister is going to put out, you know, the fan fiction version of of what what they think happened. And we're just going to have to live with that. But the writing is good enough and the books are good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the other plug I'll give you, though, if you don't want to if you don't want to invest yourself in a series that you're never going to know the end of read Robert Jordan's A Wheel of Time. Yeah, there you go. Which, by the way, had I mean, like was finished by someone else. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan in his latter years uh, brought on, you know, an understudy, I guess, a co-author, whatever you want to say. And and they work. And it was a very similar situation to Martin in that it was supposed to be 12 books. And they got into the the 12th book and they said, this is supposed to be the last book and there's no way that it's going to be one book. And it ended up being three. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a, the, these books are bigger than the Bible and there's 14 of them, but I'm, I'm halfway through the series. The Stunning Mrs. Vance uh, finally got me to read them. Some of the best books I've ever written. If you're at all, you know, in the, the fantasy genre, um, I mean, it's different from Game of Thrones and that there's maybe more of the kind of magic-y type things that you associate with fantasy, uh, but really fantastic good books. Yeah. And, and the thing about the Song of Ice and Fire books is that, I, you know, George R. R. Martin has given indications that he is getting close to finishing um, the most, the, the next book, The Winds of Winter, which I, I do expect him to finish probably sometime within the next year. But like, you know, it's it, the next one, if it does come out, it will be one of like three more books that need to come out. So it's just, to me, it's not happening, but uh, like you said, Andy, it's still incredibly worth reading. And there's all kinds of other things out there that you want to read if, if you really want closure. So you, you can always read his, you know, the seventh volume of the Game of Thrones cookbook or whatever other annoying <laughs> right. side yeah, exactly. project that he's working on. Exactly. Read, read whatever side crap that he's got going for whatever reason that he's doing instead of actually writing his books. Uh, <laughs> this next one's from Matt uh, from Minneapolis. Matt wants to know, I, I love the earnestness of this question, if not the question itself. Uh, if, when, friend of the program Joe Burrow wins the Heisman Trophy, with Joe's permission, of course, does he get a display in the Woody? <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> Come on, wow. man. Like, wow. I, look, I, I love, I wow. love the, the intent. He's an Ohio guy. Uh, obviously with Ohio state and, you know, he's got so many friends on the team still and they, they're yeah. rooting for him, but hell no, come on. You know, on. you know, here, here, here's when, uh, yeah, it, when he is winning Super Bowl MVP, uh, then, <laughs> then Ohio state will claim him again. Like that will yeah. be the, he'll be in a recruiting graphic, uh, with all of the players from Ohio state that have been in, the, but that, you know, that's an interesting you know, that's an interesting question, uh, you know, as, as how do you look at a guy who's and Joe oh, Burrow's I'll like be this. Happy. I'll be appreciative of it. I'll be happy for this homegrown guy to, to win the Heisman, <laughs> I think, especially someone as unheralded as Joe Burrow. For, I mean, again, you know, Mr. Football in Ohio, but unheralded nationally is Joe Burrow. Right. right. Um, but 
yeah, he's not. I mean, there are no special accolades there, especially no, no. especially when you know Chase Young, who could also be a Heisman contender, got screwed um, out of you know two games that could help solidify his challenger status to Joe Burrow. So no, I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> there will be no recognition for Joe Burrow in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center since you brought up Chase Young. So hypothetical, yeah. Chase Young has, you know, a two, three sack performance in each of the last two games. Sure. There's a, you know, a, a um, Boza-esque walk-off sack to end a Penn State game or something, you know, some other similar heroics in Michigan. Can he play his way back in the conversation? No, no, he can't. It, it, he, it's and over and done. Absolutely not. Yeah, there's no way because first of all, Joe Burrow did what he did against Alabama, and to so like I, I promise you, dude, when that happened, a third of the Heisman voters sent in their ballots immediately. That's yeah. exactly what happened. They they didn't wait. They're like, nope, that's all I got to see, and then they they sent that sucker in. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> for Chase Young to get back into this thing, he needs like five or six sacks per game. Like that's what he's going to have to do because there's no way in hell. Uh, that, you know, a quarterback that had been putting up the numbers of Joe Burrow, who then goes ahead and beats Alabama and then could potentially win the SEC title. Like, forget it. It's over. Um, So there's there's a 0% chance that LSU loses to Arkansas. Uh, I mean, that's that's, that's a 0% chance of that that happening. Uh, I mean, I would say what they're playing A&M in their season finale. Yeah. It's not a 0% chance, but it's pretty unlikely. It's yeah, relatively unlikely because what's A and M's record? Uh, yeah, they're seven and three, so not yeah. not great. I mean, they're fine, but you know whatever. So then you're going to have Georgia in the SEC title game. Yeah, and Georgia has no offense, and so like I yeah I I mean at the worst Joe Burrow loses the SEC title game and maybe doesn't look great, but looks fine. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. as long as he doesn't lose before the sec title game and look bad and then look really bad in the sec title game i i don't i just don't know <laughs> i don't see that happening in any way shape or form about heisman so, ballots go in after the championship games well people can submit them like they just you know they can submit them as early as they feel like honestly i couldn't, I couldn't remember if i think there is a point where you have to wait but honestly that when people sometimes you know, you look at these ballots, people submit those as soon as they're humanly possible to submit. Like they will do it as the earliest they're allowed to. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, I, like I said, I, I think as soon as, as Burrow uh, beat Alabama, beat up, people made up their minds and that was mailing that. them in. Yeah. Uh, last one here. This is from Bill. What's he's got a man cave. He's trying to create a man cave. What's a kick-ass movie poster you would, uh, you would put down in his man cave. Oh, movie posters. Well, so the thing I always wanted to do, and this sounds super self-promotional, but I'll say that I wanted to do it before I was uh, associated with the the staff as anything other than a, a fan and and a, and a reader. Uh, but I've always wanted to take Walt's game day poster series yeah. and print those out writ large. Um, and there was a time where I was like, oh, this is going to be great. You're going to take, say, the, the year of the national championship and you're just going to print out all what, right. 15 of those and, and line the walls like that's perfect. And then there was a while I thought, okay, maybe the, maybe the play is that you just update them, you know, the, use the <laughs> same frames, but yeah, just rotate them out each year or, you know, pick your favorites. So, there's so many of them now and they're so good. 
Right. I, I mean, you know what? Like, I actually how, have you... the UAB one framed. Oh my god, um, that one was so good. That's the one with the yeah, the, the St. George and the Dragon, right? Yep, that's exactly oh, what it is. So and good. It, yeah, and that actually was sitting. Uh, we have I don't know where it is right now, but we um, we had it sitting above like our mantle for a long time um, at our old place. So yeah, I I think that's actually the move. If you're an Eleven Warriors fan, get those PDFs, put it on some nice you know glossy paper at your local Kinkos, and, and frame those suckers. I mean, other, other movie posters. I mean, some of the like all time great you know, movie posters. Here's a hint, um, though. Here's a real hint. What you do is you find a movie that you really like and then do a Google search for Polish X poster, right? And the, there's a lot of like, not just Polish, but there's a lot of like foreign oh uh, movie posters, like foreign versions of these movie posters that are excellent, that are really kind of abstract and cool and, you know, they're really holy. I did not know that. I'm like, I'm yeah, just I'm doing that as you talk. The the Polish version of the Rocky movie poster, yeah, is fantastic. It's like they've taken boxing gloves and made them into this kind of weird heart shape. Yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> you have okay. I know what I'm going to be doing the next twenty minutes. Thank you, there you go. Ginter. Well done. <laughs> uh, last thing before we get out of here, Andy, what's your score prediction for Saturday against Penn State? Penn State, by the way, comes in. I mean, look, their offense is kind of up and down. They've got an injured wide receiver. Um, defense, again, kind of up and down. Indiana made them look a little salty for about a half. What do you think? So 19 point. I mean, the line on this one kind of blew my mind. That, yeah, I think it's way too big. But it, it's a fat line. I mean, I think, you know, uh, 12 points, you know, is probably closer to what I expected, you know, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that ballpark. So 19 just floored me. I don't, it's not going to be, it's not going to be that. I don't think, um, what, you know, what you just said, uh, is, is kind of how I've been looking at the team as well, uh, at this Penn state game, their secondary, you know, that's the, or you would say their secondary is maybe a little suspect and that probably plays yep. into Ohio state's, uh, hand a little bit and but they have a really good rush defense they really they they do but you know ohio state's kind of shown they can they can run against because if you look at the you look at the defenses that ohio state's played early in the year that have been ranked pretty well uh that was their strength right is they were these were all pretty yeah and wisconsin yeah i mean you know wisconsin one of the best right that didn't help them out so no it didn't it did not make it did not make a lick of of difference so um i i would say score wise i'm every time so the Rutgers game's the only one where I felt really stupid with my score prediction because I've just been kind of shooting out something in the mid 40s for Ohio State every week sure. and that, that sort of felt you know reasonable so I'd like to say something like you know call it 42 to maybe maybe 28 you know something in that ballpark okay. but reasonable. but but I'm just this is the least confident I've been about pegging one of these all season long, just because I, I don't, I don't, I haven't watched enough game film on the Nittany Lions to be really, to be really candid about it. But the, uh, the Ohio State offense, there just hasn't been anything to show me that anybody's capable of slowing them down yet. So I still feel like Ohio State's going to put 40 plus on the board. I think, I think Penn State's going to slow the Ohio State offense down by actually sustaining drives a little bit. And I, I think the RPO stuff, I think you may see some of that. Uh, again, you know, Penn State, they're, they're looking, they, they want to make sure that they can have, you know, all of their players healthy and, and ready to go. But 
Uh, if KJ Hamler isn't isn't there, that's going to be a little difficult for them. Plus, obviously, Chase Young's back and he's going to be pissed. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm thinking something like 38. Uh, 24 is, is going to be the move. And, and, and again, not that Ohio State will look bad on offense, just that uh, Penn State will sustain a couple of drives and eat up clock, and, and that will probably keep the score down just a little bit. So that's that's what I'm thinking. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it's a giant blowout, and, and you know Vegas is right, and it's like around a 20-point victory. I would love that. Well, um, I mean, here's the th- – my, my man Dan Hope, my brother from another mother, uh, the, be- the the king of the beat, had a had an interesting point in, in this week's – um, five things that, that I thought was really, I'd kind of overlooked this, but Penn, Penn State's got five one score games against teams with r- winning records, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you, you look at, you know, they had, you know, they've had some gaudy wins early on, but Pitt 17 to 10, um, you, you had Michigan 28, 21, Minnesota 26, 31, Indiana 34, 27, that Indiana game's the one that I kind of look at and say, okay, <laughs> Right. That, that gives me a lot of confidence that Ohio State's, you know, going to handle. That's the one that makes me say, okay, maybe Vegas isn't being totally ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, they did blow out Michigan State, but Michigan State needs to blow out its entire offensive staff. So, <laughs> whatever, yeah, Joe. That agreed. And, and, you know, like I said, that's, I think D'Antonio is kind of done. We can talk about that uh, when or if that happens here soon, which I think it will um, after the end of the season. But, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I, like I said, the last two games here, this is, this is the season. This is it. This is the big time. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what the whole thing has been building up to. It's why we have these rivalry games at the end of the year. They should be at the end of the year because it creates this inertia, this momentum to something really awesome. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. I, I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch and stark contrast to what we've seen the last couple of weeks. So we will discuss it next week. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. And we'll talk to you next time.